podcast informs listeners that the views, thoughts, and opinions expressed solely belong to the host and not necessarily to their employer or any other group of individuals. It is not a research report. It is not a recommendation to buy or sell any security. It is for informational purposes only and should not be construed otherwise. November 6, 2019, and let's talk about so many things. Um, actually, there's this um, tweet or something wherein Warren's Paramount Studio heads flat out said that they cannot compete with a business model that requires $150 million upfront for a Scorsese-type film. Well, essentially, if you're really reading between the lines, APNT, which owns HBO Max, Warner, Paramount Studios, they're kind of bad-mouthing Netflix for that Irishman film this November. In other words, they are saying that they will not compete with the high-yield market when they keep underwriting $3.5 billion of an annual free cash flow burn. Of course, if you're really reading through the streaming wars, they're pertaining to Netflix. Uh, Let me explain. Netflix is able to create content only because of the high-yield bond. With low interest rates, Wall Street would rather issue checks to Netflix any single day and get that yield. Now, expect that recession and suddenly, of course, Reed Hastings will really incur a massive drop if nobody will suddenly give him $5 billion, $10 billion in order to spend for content. And although I really like Netflix, this is the weakness of Netflix. It is an entertainment leader, but it persistently will need Wall Street steroids to keep pumping those great shows you watch, especially in in this content streaming war. But I will tell you this, AT&T is very hypocritical and very low. AT&T also relies on debt to satisfy their Time Warner Brothers acquisition. So all of that content is actually made possible by Uncle Federal Reserve, which is cheap capital. So I wouldn't really be, uh, I wouldn't really think too much about these talking heads because these are, these are studios. Uh, Disney and Warner are essentially uh, making videos on demand, and they need to distribute it in the best way possible, either through Disney Plus and so forth or through their own channels, Hulu, uh, whatever. And then, you know, Netflix distributes plainly on Netflix. You've got companies like Viacom, CBS, uh, NBC Universal, and a lot of great content, which so far doesn't have a home, which is why a lot of companies are talking about a possible bundling and a consolidation of all of these uh, companies. In fact, um, another story to tell on the streaming news is that AT&T got um, South Park for about $500 million. So just recently, you already heard me say that Netflix paid $500 million for Seinfeld. Okay, and then uh, let's report a few earnings that didn't really do well. Uh, Shake Shack reported a really... Uh, I'd say the quarter was really not good, so Shake Shack got pummeled down 20%. But the thing is, 
the run-up of Shake Shack this year was actually 100%. So 50 to 100%, 50 to 100, and it was really vertical. So this moved down back to 66 or 34% from the highs could actually still be not enough. Um, I'll read to you the things that um, Brian, uh, that Randy Garuti, the CEO of Shake Shack, has to say. I'll just read this verbatim. So he said, yes. So look at the moment we are available on Grubhub at almost all the uh, shacks and pretty much everyone across the country. So we're available in certain marketplaces for the time being, such as Postmates, DoorDash, and Caviar. Although probably in the very near future, certainly in the fourth quarter, they will become unintegrated. So whether they choose to keep us on their platforms or not, that will be up to them. But our agreement with Grubhub is to only integrate directly and market with them. So why would you do that? For the same reasons that we have been talking about. Setting aside any other company decisions, our decision has been consistent as we have talked about in the last few quarters. When we announced this in the last quarter, we were going after the greatest guest experience we possibly can, making sure that food gets there in the best way that it can. And what we've seen with so many different platforms is that it's been more challenging for our operators, more challenging for our guests. So we want to give a clear channel where that can happen um, in the best way possible and we also think that we are going to benefit from the data that we learn about our guests, about Grub, um, and, uh, and how we can harness that. So we're going to be able to directly market with them, and it will be very exciting for us. We also believe that over the long term, and that is we are a long-term thinking company, that we're not just going to jump in on the next quarter. And this has to be the best potential to be the best revenue that we can get. Lastly, the overall improved economics that we expect for Grub deal, they will be better in the OPEX line than the economics we've had in various pilots over the last few years. So all these things together, this is the next step. It may not be the forever step. We may at some point in the future reconsider what we learned. But as of today, it is the next step we are making, and we believe that we believe that it's the right step for Shake Shack today. So notice that Shake Shack is married to Grubhub. Um, you've probably heard about the bad Grubhub earnings last quarter, which is, well, actually when Grubhub reported earnings, Grubhub down 43%, arguing that um, their customers were promiscuous, i.e. their customers were unfaithful, their customers are not loyal to Grubhub. If they get a 15% discount on food delivery apps such as Caviar, DoorDash, Postmates, Uber Eats, and so forth, they will buy from those delivery services. And if there's like a discount on some other person's burger, then that's affecting uh, Shake Shack. So in fact, um, Randy Garuti is saying that with all of these different marketplaces, it creates noise with pricing, whether it be delivery fees, service charges, placements on third-party marketplace sites, various promotions that the companies may have done. And so when these things change, it makes a lot of noise. Uh, but they're saying that, Randy is saying that we're not just going to turn them on, we're, meaning they're not just going to have all of these apps just for the sake of sales. Because Randy believes in building something that will have a great guest experience 
more importantly, so they need to have really good delivery, being good on time. And uh, Randy believes that partnering with Grubhub and being a bit exclusive with them is a strategy that he believes is best because he's thinking about the quality of the partners. So we, we will see uh, what really happens. I looked at the chart of Shake Shack. The next down move would be about 58 so it's another maybe 15 to 20% downside even after the first 20% downward move. Uh, another thing to note is that Starbucks actually said that their delivery is margin dilutive in China. Delivery sales is, the, is just 7% of China revenue. Uh, so there's essentially a cannibalizing to deliveries. We will read through the numbers of Starbucks, but um, if you look at the chart, it looks as if 80 is going to still go downhill. It's going to probably hit about 70 to 60 bucks. We're going we're gonna to have to watch that. Um, uh, a few things to note. Actually, um, it is quite a surprise that Match.com, which owns Tinder, actually had great earnings but tanked about 20% or about 15% after earnings. Now, the market didn't really feel bad about this because um, Match.com is actually 55% head short, meaning in a 54 million share outstanding float, 30 million of it was actually net short before the earnings, so that was actually a great drop for hedge funds. Match.com uh, reported 22% revenue growth. Um, let me read the exact numbers. Q3 2019, Match.com drew their revenues to $541 million. So that's kind of big. They're about $3 billion uh, revenue in a year. Uh, revenue would have grown 24%, excluding forex effects. Average subscribers increased 20% to about 9.6 million users, up from 8.1 million in the year-over-year -year quarter. Tinder average subscribers were 5.7 million, increasing 437,000 sequentially, 1.6 million year over year. Operating income was $177 million, an increase of 26% over the prior quarter, and adjusted EBITDA increased 25% year over year to about $206 million. ARPU actually grew 4% over the prior year to about 59 cents. Exceeding Forex, ARPU is one is sixty cents, an increase of six percent over the year's quarter. On October ten, IAC conveyed to a special committee of disinterested um, directors of the of the board for a transaction that would result in the full separation of Match.com from IAC. So, actually, the numbers of Match wasn't really all that bad. It's, it's actually surprising these days that if the company um, just tries to put a really conservative guidance, that the market will pummel it down. Because actually, Funko had a really good earnings report. Um, the management just guided quite a, quite a low-ball estimate for next quarter so that, of course, the company could easily meet expectations, but the market pummeled it down when they lowered their guidance instead of raising it. So... Um, I think that's the thing about uh, Wall Street. Wall Street wants to keep 
raising expectations and wanting companies to actually keep on increasing their full-year guidance. And, um, you know, I want to say this. Um, there are some landmines in the market, and I'd like to say that you have to always invest as if you're already in a recession so that it will never matter whether we have one or not. You have to invest in companies that will do well over the long term and create opportunities out of short-term problems. Actually, um, the real problem in the market has to do, in my view, with Masayoshi Sun and the VC bubble. They subsidize an unsustainable bubble. So note that, um, just trivia, Uber reported losses, and lo and behold, Uber was losing about $550,000 every single hour for that quarter, or a totally whopping eyeball $1.2 billion loss. And then what? It's still trading at about $50 billion market cap. Wouldn't we have to deduct that zero from 50 to about $5 billion, or shouldn't it be zero? Uh, I mean, at some point, if we are funding losing companies, why are we doing that? So I'd like to read this um, article. This is VC bubble in the trouble from oversubsidization. We should start to see some rationalizing of the VC bubble in Silicon Valley, which has seen several unsustainable consumer internet business models raise too much money at very high valuations. This slowing funding will also probably give some cause to advertising growth on social networks and infrastructure spend at AWS. So that's a kind of like a bearish thing, thinking for Facebook. So you have to be wary because Facebook right now is trading at $193. Metro Inat is actually in a sell zone. I suspect that there will be blips in the long term, but it's anecdotal, Silicon Valley traffic index is spiking off the charts with new traffic jam in new places and down the 101 lately. Likewise, last weekend, San Jose Airport, there was no parking available for nine hours and not one single spot. As flyers in 2019 increased 15% to 14.3 million from last year. This congestion is historically inversely correlated with where we are in the VC cycle. This article points out, rather humorously, this fact. Millennials will have a reckoning coming to their VC-subsidized lifestyle. If you wake up in a Casper mattress, work out with a Peloton before breakfast, Uber to your desk at WeWork, order DoorDash for lunch, take a lift home, get dinner through Postmates, you would have interacted with seven companies which collectively lost nearly $14 billion just in a year. Now, if you use Lime scooters to bop around the city, download WAG to walk your dog, sign up for Blue Apron to make a meal, that's three more brands that will have never recorded a dime in earnings or would have seen their valuations fall by more than 50%. Um, you know, tonight, Peloton's going to report earnings or rather losses. So I'm just really saying that there are really strong reasons, landmines in the market, and uh, Uber's one of them. A lot of unicorns are them. So it has no profit profitability path. So you really have to be careful. That's why we don't cover these names. Um, 
I would say is that there are several sharks smel smelling that there's plenty of upside shorting softback and all these unicorns, which will really be an inevitable demise for Masayoshi Softbank Vision Fund. So uh that's one. What else do we have to talk about? Mm. We'd have to say that over time uh with Uber losing so much, no, there's no mode in this. Um so there's actually another unicorn which is Neo. Neo is a unicorn similar similar to Tesla, it's a Chinese Tesla. From bankruptcy to almost cash burn to about what? Almost a hundred percent in just a span of days after deliveries and uh in the disclosure that supposedly they have a JV with um with this mobile eye which is supposedly for self driving cars. So what I'm saying is that you should know what you're buying. Uh there was a rejection on S D N E last night showing that payments shouldn't be growing fifty I mean the valuations of payment companies shouldn't be growing too much if um if their earnings are this much. So I would say that it's interesting and it's good to see that the market is actually getting very rational about valuation. And we really see energy value names picking up. So it's good to see that the market's really orienting to value play and not for growth. Value with profitability is what the market wants. So stay tuned for more ideas. And happy evening for all of you. Thank you.